you very much for having me. It's, a, it's very nice to be here. Thank you for coming along. Um, so, yes, um, as you heard there, I've, I've come sort of weaving through sort of media, so from being a radio reporter who actually went out and about with an old-school Morantz through to the digital world I'm in now. And I suppose one of the things I always say to people is there is no magic trick, sadly. There's no magic wand to the digital side of it. And, and all the old all the old values remain and that's you know trying to tell the truth in a clear fashion trying to get to the bottom of big issues and try and explain certainly to this audience a complicated world without being patronizing and that was the same in radio it was the same at channel 4 news um which is also chasing a younger audience which is a theme i think you'll all be familiar with and, and it's the same i think everywhere now that everyone wants that younger crowd but wants to understand how to reach them in a way that um that is that fulfilling that kind of journalistic um, uh, value of, of, of trust and, and uh, telling the truth and digging at things without coming over as if you're talking to children, which is really tough to get the balance right. So, without further ado, I'll just, I mean, that's our current homepage, if you're, if you're wondering what that is. That left-hand side is our mobile view and the right-hand side is some bits of the desktop view. Um, so, it's kind of fairly clear from that that you can see uh, we're all about sort of explaining things and bringing the audience into our journalism, which is a kind of obvious thing that we've, we've done a lot more of since I was there. So, I've been at Newsbeat for six months. Um, uh, but just putting the audience front and centre, certainly during the election, as you can see at the top left there when we uh, had a debate in Edinburgh, um, just putting your audience, your young audience, in the, in the content is sometimes a really clear way of saying this is what we do and we're, we're about young people. Um, you know, all, these are just um, examples I grabbed uh, really, but you know, explaining lots of whys and hows in headlines you'll see now. Uh, we'll come on to how we uh, ramped up how we explain things. So, just to, back, to backtrack a little, Newsbeat is the, uh, the news service of Radio 1. Radio 1 is pretty much the number one music station in the UK and has been since 1967. That's Tony Blackburn, I'm sure some of you recognise him, with a, with a seven-inch disc balanced on his head. And this is our current breakfast show host, Nick Grimshaw. So if you're age 16 to 25, you know exactly who that guy is, and you have no idea who that guy is. <laughs> so so it's, it's very much a music station, and Newsbeat is kind of a bit of an intruder on the kind of good... Uh, sort of happy, upbeat tone of the overall station. Not that our news is always depressing, but it's hard to get news, or certainly the, the tone of news, right when you're surrounded by relentless uh, cheer and uh, kind of lots of on-air jokes and lots of high-octane pop music. So it's, it's a difficult task, but one that we enjoy. And it is still one of the well, most well-known youth brands in the country. Uh, there are some numbers to, to explain Radio 1, so uh, around about 9 to 10 million people listen to it every week. Um, we count as our core audience um, the guys we want, us age 16 to 25. The actual audience tends to go um, shockingly into the mid-30s, uh, which, you know, th those 34-year-olds will keep listening. Um, so uh, one extra is a sister station, um, which is an urban um, station, so it plays a lot more hip-hop and rap and stuff, and, and they have a really, really loyal following. And we all, uh, uh, Newsbeat does their news service as well, so we have to think about um, how the sound, the brand works across both platforms. Um, Newsbeat has a programme twice a day, um, a quarter to one, um, the lunchtime programme, and then another one in the evening, quarter to six. Um, in between, there are half-hourly bulletins um, from 5.30 in the morning. Um, so the on-air voice of the, of the station, the, the Newsbeat voice, is there um, throughout the day uh, with that 15-minute programme lunchtime. Um, 
And traditionally, in terms of the structure of the newsroom, there's about 35 of us at Newsbeat. Everybody's efforts and focus and ambitions lie in that 15-minute show, and we try and do 50 minutes of pure original journalism at lunchtime in the evening, based on um, uh, voices we've gathered either on the day or pre-planned pre, um, pre content. Uh, but what I've been doing since um, I joined in the autumn is to kind of bit of a kind of intruder and try and grab some of those resources and make them think about making the same digital uh, radio content, make it digital. So while we are still focused on those lunchtime and evening programmes, I'm kind of like saying, right, when you're there, take some pictures, think about video, is there any social media you can do at the same time? How will it, the story actually be told online that you're telling on the radio? So it's, it's been tough, but it's been fun so far, and I'll show you some of the results of that. So we get on the website itself, um, on, on a good day, a million vis um, clicks or a million visitors, um, 1.5 million clicks, probably when someone from One Direction has done something, when, <laughs> when we get those sorts of figures, I'm afraid. And then the average day is more around sort of half a million, which is, is still fairly chunky. Um, and, and so we, we try and balance the fact that we know we'll get hits for One Direction coverage and the fact that we want to actually have a, a role in educating and, and helping people form opinions about the world around them. Uh, so we target, as you know, that that's our age range. Uh, we're all about making big issues clear uh, and putting the audience into the story. Uh, we have a big focus, as you'll probably tell when you, when you look at the site, on, on music news. Obviously, we're part of Radio 1, so it makes sense that we are first with news of Taylor Swift and the, and the like. Uh, and we have a lot of stories that actually are um, harvested from social media. So, you know, the classic, have you seen those two people having a row on Twitter, combined with a little bit of um, call-to-action social media journalism. So, you know, we start off in the morning with a question about an issue, if we can get a couple of people who um, help tell a story. So if it's an NHS story, we might try and, try and get a couple of young nurses who, who tweet us about whatever their opinion of something is, or we might get some recently graduated students who can't get jobs, or people struggling to get on the housing ladder. So we, we tell stories that we found and tried to, to galvanise on social media. Um, and that's, I think, possibly the better way to use social media in, in this day and age, rather than just spouting what you know and what you've done. Um, and that last point, I think, is, is quite important because we're all, I'm very much um, of the school of you need a reason to tell a story. But actually, I, what I've been enjoying at Newsbeat is you don't, you know, if there's a, a young person with a, with a fascinating tale to tell, so examples from this year, um, uh, a couple of um, the housing story I mentioned, uh, a couple of guys who had decided to kind of get on the housing ladder a whole new way by... Um, buying flats together with their friends in a kind of um, uh, uh, commune, you could call it, way. And that was just really interesting to hear how young people are getting on the housing ladder. We had a fascinating story about self-harm um, and a, a girl who got through it and told us her story of surviving all those um, issues. And we've got um, uh, a really good video up on the site right now about um, drag kings, um, in case you're intrigued by what drag kings are, they are girls who dress up as men as opposed to the drag queen um, phenomenon. So these are just stories that we found interesting and thought these are young people, these are um, part of our audience, let's let them tell their story. Sorry, can I just speak to you, source these stories for social media? Or? Many of them are. Um, I mean, quite often it's a reporter has an idea for a story and we'll say, look, I've, I think the Drag King one being an example, a, a guy called Steve was just interested in it and said, look, let me try and find some uh, girls from around the UK that fall into our, our target audience. Um, 
and meet them and, and find out about how they got into it, um, what they get out of it, this, how it was accepted in their friendship circles, what their parents said, all these things. So it was just one little idea, and then we found people, certainly through Facebook, um, is a good place to find uh, uh, people for your stories. So yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of ways of doing that. And that's something I've done at Channel 4 as well, which is using Twitter to try and create a story, which I can certainly come back to. Um, so, as I said, we're in the process of turning those radio journalists, the 35 I spoke of, into sort of multimedia journalists. Um, we have just launched the site that you saw, that's a new look for us, and we wanted to make it really simple so that it was absolutely clear how you navigate around it. We've got an app on the way as well, which launches in the, uh, well, hopefully in the next uh, three or four weeks. Audio, clearly we're a radio brand, so I felt that our audio content was kind of really quality, but we, we put it out on air and then we forgot about it. Uh, I think you've probably all um, discussed whether audio can be like video online that people actually share, whether it can go viral, all those things. I don't know the answer to that, but I certainly know that putting our audio into our stories, embedding the audio in a page, is a great use of, of the fact that we've made all this uh, radio content and we've got endless space online, there's no limit, there's no kind of cut-off point. So if we've got a great interview, we let it run a bit longer on the website. Um, and we have had some hits, so we use SoundCloud to share to, to post audio. And we have had a few things that just took off um, and, and had one of them 80,000 odd hits. So yeah, um, we've been playing around with exploring whether we can use animation to make our audio come to life online. Um, I can show you some examples of that. And YouTube as well, we've relaunched our YouTube channel to become a lot more personality-based, so we have a guy called Nick who explains um, complex issues, which I will, again, will show you shortly. So that's the, one of the, probably the main thing we think about in the morning when we're just deciding what to do is our audience. Um, so audiences are key thing, obviously, but, um, but getting them into our stories is, is, is what we try and think about. Explaining, I've mentioned, that is a still from um, an animation about um, a girl, the girl with self-harm that I mentioned who was telling the story of how she had self-harmed and then recovered and was now helping um, um, uh, peers of hers um, overcome it. New formats, again, playing with the idea of games, animations, how can we bring our audio to life. Um, some of our animation um, is actually drawn by uh, our own one of our newsreaders, who is not an artist. <laughs> he just uses a light box and then we very cleverly, not me, but a video editor we have, kind of brings his drawings to life. and So actually the more crude and simple, with very clear, powerful audio, the better. And just obviously, you know, you've got to get win over um, a young audience. You've got to let them understand that they'll have fun if they engage with your, your stuff. So don't be afraid to do things that others might say you've dumbed down, you know, you're you know, goofing around with pop stars or dressing up as a caveman or telling the news in emojis. Um, it's obviously targeting the very youngest end, 15, 16 year old end of the market. Um, but sometimes you have to give them a fun way in to then go, while you're here, um, why don't you learn about the election or the Human Rights Act? <laughs> um, but everybody likes that. And also there's a sort of secret part of everybody that wants to have a bit of fun whilst consuming news, I think. so. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think you've heard from Kevin Sutcliffe from Vice in recent weeks. So, you know, this is the, the most um, competitive part of the news media right now is the fight for young eyeballs. Um, so, you know, Vice has conquered it in its own way with that very sort of um, long form, 50 minute, gritty, 
YouTube videos from, from the Ukraine and so on and, and are very much focused on foreign conflicts. BuzzFeed, you can't deny, have absolutely nailed the market for shareable, fun little bits of news that you just can't help clicking on, combined with the lists. And YouTube itself is awash with um, amateurs in their bedrooms who have um, just decided to switch on their, their webcam and talk. And that's actually really good, and I really like that. And, and actually, for me, it doesn't feel like they're eating away at the mainstream media. It feels like they're just keeping us on our toes and showing us that actually news doesn't have to be delivered from behind a desk by a person in a jacket and a, and a tie. So, so those are our rivals. Um, Sorry, yeah. you see those as... Those are Newsbeat's rivals, without a doubt. Not, not because we want to be them, but because they're the ones getting the clicks of our audience, and we know that our audience is being drawn to, to watch video and, watch, uh, and, and click on lists um, that are being shared, and they're seeing a lot of volume come through on whichever social media platform that they congregate on. Um, but as I say, I mean, increasingly mainstream media are doing partnerships with the likes of Vice and BuzzFeed. Um, I think you know, we have to see it as a as positive that they've come into the market and forced us to consider a whole new way of, of, of engaging people who aren't very loyal. Uh, the end of loyalty, um, it's a bit of a depressing slide, but people don't kind of congregate around one thing and all come to school or work the next day and say, did you watch blah, in quite the same way. I suppose it still works with the kind of X factor and the kind of entertainment stuff, but I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not in the target audience, sadly, anymore, but I don't know anybody who watches the news every night at 10 anymore or, or is always in for, for Channel 4 News at 7. Um, we all watch it on catch-up, where we all catch up bits of news that we really wanted to see or somebody shared it on Facebook. So the concepts of gathering around the, uh, the wireless is sadly no more. Um, and people don't stick to a brand. I mean, the BBC still has a great level of trust, but people have a lot of other things flying at them on social media. Having said that, the irony is YouTube has recreated what we would call, I'm sure you all have sort of talked about this idea of the end of appointment to view news, and actually YouTubers, as in the, the young people on YouTube that have their own channel which might be about fashion, it might be about science, it might be about music, they have actually recreated the old-fashioned idea of on a Thursday you shall get this, and on a Tuesday you shall get this. So it's actually really interesting um, to see that kind of um, uh, slightly strange um, switch in loyalty. Um, another thing that exemplifies that, um, uh, that new way of um, being loyal is the serial podcast. Did anybody get hooked on it here? You know, you wanted to have to wait for Thursday, didn't you? In a way, you didn't want them all at once. It was a kind of... So for those that didn't get addicted to it, well done. Um, <laughs> but it was a podcast, a story, a real-life um, murder case from the 90s. It was um, investigated by the makers of This American Life, a very successful American podcast. And they drip-fed you it in 12 instalments uh, once every Thursday throughout the autumn, right? Mm. And because of that wait, because you had to wait for Thursday, you then ended up spending the whole week chatting about it with other people that were addicted. Oh, do you think, you know, what, who they're going to uncover or what's going to happen? And, you know, everyone's theories about the, the murder mystery within it. And, but it was based on reality. So, you, you know, arguably it was news, not entertainment. Maybe a bit of both. But that, that kind of concept of, tr of um, appointment of view and the idea of waiting for something, it's not dead, although it's harder to do, I think. 
So I mentioned trust. Trust is still key, I think. And actually, because we live in this world of things flying at us and uh, being kind of bombarded by choice, uh, I think actually believing what you've read, believing what you're seeing is actually bigger than ever. Um, so the idea that YouTubers can suddenly take control of the media and just make it all up in their bedrooms is uh, not one I'm too worried about. Uh, in the, at the end of the day, people still want the ITNs and the BBCs to, to be there, um, but maybe just adjust how they deliver the content. So there we are, we're on YouTube too. Anybody recognise the guy in the hat? That's because you're not 16 to 25. <laughs> Just <joking. Not> <laughs> uh, That's Alfie Days. This guy is one of the YouTubers I'm speaking of who has uh, millions and millions of, of fans. His, uh, his subscribers, I think, are over 5 million on YouTube. He puts out goofy, silly little videos once, uh, once a week or so, and he always tells his followers on Twitter, I'm about to put up a video, and, you know, and he has absolute loyalty. Um, not that he's a newsman, but he is an example of the, the kind of characters that are drawing this audience away from watching the news on TV, listening to radio, reading the newspaper. Uh, and he's no enemy of ours, but I think it's really interesting. He's self-made. He's just a boy in a bedroom who uh, started to ga uh, gather a following and now has amazing uh, commercial power and has released a book and had, you know, Waterstones was flooded with thousands of... A bit like the old-fashioned idea of a boy band or or a pop star getting this following. And so on the right in the black is our YouTube reporter, Nick. Um, and as you can see, he's been channeling a bit of Alfie and trying to explain things that we think normally our audience might not bother to click on. Uh, so that one was from the general election. That was a what your MP does all day explainer. Uh, and some of these videos have done quite well, actually. And I'll play you, I, I could play you one in a sec. In fact, possibly now is a good time. Right, I'll stop there. But as you can see, um, we've got various other, what we call, um, I kind of hate the phrase, but it is useful, but evergreen content. So how to revise is doing quite well on 13,000 hits um, because it really isn't something that will go out of date. So we can keep promoting it and keep sharing it. And we know it's something that right now, certainly uh, in, in this time of year, our audience really cares about. You saw there that it's kind of possible to talk about very serious issues that are very kind of dark at the same time as being cheerful, cheeky chappy, which Nick is. I mean, it's not actually, I'm actually really amazed at him being able to, but I keep throwing him new challenges and he keeps managing to be really cheerful and upbeat about explaining quite difficult issues. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can see some of our rivals here, Dan and Phil, who are actually on Radio 1, um, but they've been YouTubers for a few years now. They look half a million clicks, uh, which is great for us, but um, it shows you where the traffic goes. So if you can get into that space and emulate that kind of informal style, it's not easy and you could come over looking, you know, the classic dad dancing if you got it wrong. But luckily Nick's uh, getting the tone right. Yeah, well there you go. Um, we can have a little quick squiz at that. And in its defence, it did quite well uh, on the website. So we put things on YouTube and on the site um, and it got shared around the BBC. I mean, the other thing is, a big broadcaster like the BBC, they're kind of thankful that we're trying <laughs> to reach young people and, and, and having you know, success in some areas, like the Dan and Phil stuff, um, because they can then pepper their content with our stuff. You know, so on election night, for example, there was a live blog rolling, and I was sitting there at four in the morning just dropping in stuff like this so that the, the main, cons main coverage had a sense of not just catering for the plus 40s, but actually that we give texture to the rest of the BBC's offering. So fingers crossed they don't mind us 
infiltrating with our cheeky chappy. So where was it? So device loyalty. Yeah, here we go. So yeah, so loyalty to news brands is kind of dead, but loyalty to the device you have is certainly not dead. And journalists don't like to admit it, but actually technology does lead the way in terms of the kind of content you make. I'm mean, sure you all have had that thought. So increasingly, we're making things for mobile phone screens, um, tablet apps, mobile apps. You know, we're all and we're all well aware of the fact people, will, you know kill them off their iPhones if they're not giving them what they want very quickly, so you have to get it right in the first take, which, fingers crossed, we all do with our app. Uh, but actually, beyond that, I, I think now the race is on, as you've probably gathered, and to get into the kind of what I call the walled gardens of, of the internet. So Snapchat, WhatsApp. So these are places where your audience, your young audience, are already congregating and sharing content, but they're not letting you in. You know, they're sharing WhatsApp, so is a chat app service where people will just talk to each other. It's just a lot cheaper than text messaging. And I think I saw a graph recently showing it's overtaken text messaging because it's free and you can send volume through it. You can send photos and video through it. So people are sharing content within their own circles. So creating a group, so we all in this room have a group where we just share with each other all the time. Why let in the mainstream media? Why let in anyone else? It's your gang, and you, you know you can have mini groups within those groups. I think that is now a big issue uh, that lots of media have tried out. Channel 4 News certainly have tried delivering news via WhatsApp. The Telegraph did it throughout the election. So if you signed up to the Telegraph on WhatsApp, you were bombarded with information about who'd said what during the campaign. Snapchat is a bit like WhatsApp, but more um, more about pictures and sort of glimpsing um, funny little behind-the-scenes activity, that kind of thing. There's anybody on Snapchat in here? Yeah. So you've got your Vices and your, and your Sky Newses are all now making content specifically for Snapchat, which is a big investment, really. Um, and it's beautifully made. It looks really visual. It's kind of filling the whole screen. I can show you. Um, so getting into these gardens and understanding what people will actually then share within those wall gardens is a key thing that I suppose no one has thoroughly nailed. Um, because we have a really strong entertainment music strand, we just use Snapchat purely for kind of giving people a glimpse behind the scenes at the BAFTAs, at the Brits, at the big weekend that we just had. So, you know, we're not using it to, to deliver heavyweight news, but we're giving people a reason to follow, giving people a reason, uh, kind of feeling that they're going to get a secret glimpse, um, which I hope we'll, we'll keep building. I thought I'd just bring this slide along because it's kind of funny. Um, you don't really need to look at what it says, but this is from my previous job. Um, uh, where we were trying to crack the nuts that is the young uh, news consumer and just to really show how much effort is going into finding ways to reach that market. I mean, it's, uh, this particular slide is showing you uh, the ins and outs of people who just uh, consume news on a very light kind of, uh, uh, not very often, but occasionally catches their attention basis. Then you've got the, the more um, loyal news lover down at the end. But that, I think, for me, that diagram, which was actually drawn on a board, just shows you how obsessed we all are with reaching that market and how we're trying desperately to understand their news habits. There's also a really awful apostrophe in news. So let's move on from that. Well. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it is a big time for all that's, that was Channel 4 and for, for the B, for, for Sky, to, to try and work out when these when these 16 to 25, 16 to 34 in this case, actually clock in and look at news and why. 
just going back to the election, so I think for me that was the first big event um, in my, my time at Newsbeat. So I joined in the autumn and we were all work, working towards May. We were well aware that our audience had a very low interest and engagement with politics. Some stats um, we were looking at showed an 8% uh, engagement level. Eight? So eight. Um, you know, it was a focus group. Um, I tried to put it aside and think, how can we boost that number? Um, and we did that really quite successfully, I would say. You saw some of the explainers there, but we, we put um, the politicians through their paces. We didn't give them an easy ride. Quite often people coming for interviews at Newsbeat assume that we are News Round, which is um, actually a children's <laughs> TV channel, TV news show. Um, so they, the politicians come in and expect what football team you support and what's your favourite pop group and, and we don't give them that, we give them rigorous but fair interviews um, and any of you who heard the David Cameron interview during the election on, on Radio 1 will have heard that and uh, it, it was a tough interview, we gave Ed Miliband a tough ride a couple of days later but I think in the end it was, for, it was good for the, for the leaders involved and certainly good for us to put our audience in front of the powerful um, and give them a voice and, and give them a chance to really not just ask a question, but ask it and then come back at them, which I think you don't get enough uh, in other panel programmes. Um, and postcards, sort of digital postcards, hence the inverted commas, um, we found that actually, despite this fear that young people aren't interested in politics, actually, when you gave them the clear pledges that the parties were making on, on, uh, on JPEGs that we then tweeted out, put on Facebook, shared on, so on uh, in Snapchat, etc., People really, oh, hang on, this is really useful. You've distilled everything that I'm being promised in all these manifestos. And I, I can, in one kind of sitting, in a sort of five-minute sitting, get my head around it. Because until now, I found the election dull, but you're actually helping me break down what the parties are promising me. And I think we saw, certainly on Facebook and Twitter, some really high share numbers for those very simple postcards. We also thought about what we could have that was special for election night. One of those things was wearing the mask of Nicola Sturgeon or Ed Miliband. Um, and then on the left, we met, uh, we went on a sort of a, a, a journey around the UK, meeting all the youngest candidates in all the area, all the different constituencies where the sort of 18, 19, 20 year olds were standing, and there were quite a few. But the one that actually won her seat, um, as I'm sure you've uh, seen in the papers and on TV, is Mary Black from the SNP, the youngest MP since the 1600s. So we had a really lovely interview with her, ready to go, um, on election night, and you can see you can see more of that on, on the site. The other thing we did for the election um, was we created a game. Um, so when I arrived, I was sort of told, look, if you can think of something different, sort of fun, innovative that we haven't tried before, um, we'd like you to try and do it, and we'll give you some some funds uh, to do try and do that. So I kind of really, this is kind of day three at the BBC. I kind of went, oh, I've always wanted to make a game. Little did I know the horror that <laughs> lay ahead in terms of actually making a game that was about politics but not influencing anyone's um, voting intention, of course, um, and also that people actually wanted to play and it wasn't a turn-off. So we came up with Ballot Bots, which was a little game about... Um, uh, so what you see here is uh, different party colours that you had to pair up, um, various pitfalls um, along the way, so it was kind of like the campaign trail, um, these little arrows were opinion polls, which could send you in. Ironically, now, uh, considering what happened in the election, it could, these, uh, our opinion polls were sending people way off beam. 
um, and all sorts of stuff. So it was kind of a fun game and 50,000 people played it, so I'm quite pleased with the results there. And it was good to try, although it was technically quite a hard slog to get it live. Um, and then really, this slide's not so much for you practicing journalists, but it sort of is, but it's more for, for, for people entering journalism. But I would say the beauty of reaching this audience is that um, all the old rules about having to have years of experience and knowledge of, um, of the industry are kind of over. Knowing about one thing that you really know about, even if it's really niche, is really handy. On Twitter and on social media, the people that just know their turf, so I don't know, um, technology journalists, sports journalists who really know particular um, fields um, always um, do well because they can come to the fore um, very quickly. Um, having that idea of not waiting for someone to come along and say, you shall be uh, our reporter on goal line technology, just saying, I know my stuff and I've already written a blog on it or done a video on it. Um, so that kind of confidence. And in fairness, you know, I'm in the old school media and uh, we had to retrain 25 radio journalists to become video uh, journalists and to write. Um, I don't think as we move forward that's going to be necessary. I think people enter the newsroom now, certainly we've experienced it with our younger um, members of staff, they know how to upload video, they know how to edit, they know enough about how to cut pictures and, and maybe the writing just needs, a, needs sharpening but broadly they've got those skills already. And just um, at Channel 4 News, just a bit of a joke really, but one of my jobs way back, 2010, was to teach everybody how to tweet. Um, and now it's hard to imagine a world in which, which journalists don't know what Twitter, Twitter is. Um, one of those people who won't mind me saying at all is, is John Snow, the, um, the anchor man of Channel 4 News, who was actually really eager to get on Twitter. Um, however, um, the bosses at the time were like, do we trust that he'll not say something a bit off-kilter or kind of, you know, betrays true opinion on a story or something like that. And I just said, I can't believe this is Jon Snow who's been on air every evening for 25 years. If you didn't trust him to, you know, deliver the news and ad-lib on air, <laughs> why are we not letting him tweet? Anyway, John is now an absolutely voracious tweeter and loves it, and, um, and I feel pleased that I got him <laughs> tweeting. So that's it. And that's me, and that's um, my Twitter handle. Um, please do ask me anything. I feel like I've trotted through quite a lot there, and I can give you any if you want to see any examples of the video or the animation. I can pull it up and, and let you have a look. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you.